0: Clovis, building a healthy life together. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. I'm Jackie and if you've been tuning in for a while, you'll know me as a producer of this podcast as well as Justin's right-hand gal in all things Clovis. Today is the flagship episode of a new format for the podcast where Justin and I will be co-hosting I'm really excited about it, and the goal is to have deeper conversations involving an even wider array of topics to bring you more content more consistently. We have a lot of big ideas for this new format, and we believe it's going to be a lot of fun, obviously, for us, and also for you, our listeners. In this episode, Justin and I discuss the inspiration for the new format, and then we dive deep into what I think is the definitive conversation, debunking the calories in, calories out model once and for all. We'll get into the science supporting the energy crisis most of us are dealing with when working towards our health goals, the damages of chronic dieting that no one on the internet is talking about right now, what key things we can start doing right now to automatically improve our nutrition, and Justin and I will share some of our own stories around energy and caloric restriction. I do just want to give a little heads up that I speak in some brief specifics about my history with eating disorder but in the episode I do give a warning before I speak about it, so you can fast forward through that bit if you need to. I also want to mention that Justin and I both use the terms fat and obese during this conversation, but they are absolutely not meant as derogatory terms in any way, shape, or form. We deal with a lot of clinical research and unfortunately that's the language used by the scientific and medical community at this time. Lastly, if you'd like to learn more from Justin, you can check out his signature course, the Clovis Custom Metabolism Reset. It's linked in the show notes. And I have to say, it's my favorite educational program that he's ever made. And I say that as someone who has had to sift through his over 400 hours of content with a fine tooth comb as part of my job. (laughs) If you'd like to work with me through my one-on-one coaching program, you can email Jackie at imclovis.com. For an application. And finally, if you want to make a suggestion for a topic you'd like us to dig into on a future episode of the podcast, we would love to hear from you at support at iamclovis.com. So, with no further ado, we both hope that you absolutely love this episode of the podcast. Um, All right. If you want to start off with your own little intro and explain why we're changing the format, and then we can talk about who the fuck I am, (laughs) if you want to.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. And here we go. What's up, everybody? Justin here. Welcome to another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. Today is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to be handing this off, I guess you could say, in in some (laughs) ways, in many ways, actually. So we're kind of um, playing with the format of the podcast going forward because we want to make more content. We want to give you more bite-sized chunks that you can dive into besides just having, you know, really long two-hour podcasts. We just did a huge podcast with Georgie Dinkoff that was very deep in biochemistry and very complicated. And so we just want to find a way to give you more content more frequently that is easily digestible, that will give you practical takeaways that you can start implementing in your life right away to see dramatic changes in your health, dramatic improvements in your health. So when I say we, I am talking about myself and I'm just going to call you host today, not guest. You'll be the host today. Um, Jackie Smith. Moving on up. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on up. Yeah. So anybody who's been around Clovis for a long time, you know, Clovis OGs, as we call them, right? They all are very familiar with you, Jackie. But for those who are new, obviously, Clovis has changed dramatically this year with the rise of TikTok and all the crazy viral things that have happened. So for those that don't know, maybe introduce yourself.
0: Oh, hey. Hi. I'm Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I have been oh gosh, I've been friends with Justin for like 400 years now, but I came on board with Clovis in 2019. And I just started doing social media stuff at first, I wanted to be a part of it. Um, I was so proud of you and what you were doing and how you had taken, you know, your music career from something that was kind of a little bit a little bit toxic um, yeah. and made, totally pivoted everything. And I just wanted to, to support that. And then my role within the company has just kind of changed over the years just based on what we needed and what was working. And um, you are such a little maverick on social media that it's better that you handle that yourself. So then I, I shifted a little bit into more customer service. I do coaching. We do a lot of brainstorming together on different projects. I've always loved the message. I've always been really passionate about... The ways in which we always try to help people, the ways that which the company is always really kind of hell bent on improvement, regardless of what the PR of that is, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's been a wild ride. It's been really tricky working with one of your best friends. We've had to grow through a lot of different weird emotional stuff that I don't think would have come up in any other dynamic. And um, just really proud to be a part of the company and just really proud of you and i love our customers i love our clients i love the coaching that i do it's just been this wild thing that started out as such a little seed and has grown into a really big part of my life
1: yeah same i mean i'm so proud of what you've done and the ways that you've grown in the company and it's it's i always like to get it you know to hear about what has happened from your perspective because for me I know my reality the way it is for me. And I'm just like very driven. I've just been that way always. And it's mm-hmm. kind of can be like bull in a, in a, China shop sometimes because I you know the famous, I think it's a Mark Zuckerberg um, quote about Facebook, but like I move fast and break things. That's ultimately <laughs> what I do, right? So how all of these companies happen, how all these things move forward. Anything that I've ever done is just like moving fast and breaking things. It was that way in the music industry too. I had a, like trouble with it sometimes, which brings us to today where you actually presented this idea to me. Like, we're here for your idea. Uh, For the listeners, Jackie basically came to me and said, hey, why don't we start sharing a bit more about what has worked for us in our personal journeys, the things that we're currently interested in, like what am I looking at and researching behind the scenes? What has led to some things that have happened in, in recent times, like updating approved foods lists, or me changing my own diet, or me learning a little bit more about some complex thing like bioenergetics, which was the Georgie podcast that we did. And just kind of keeping a pulse on this thing And coming in and helping people see where we have been, where we are going, what we're interested in, and just taking people along for the ride as we learn and grow. Because that's what this whole thing is. Like you said about the PR thing, I don't much care about PR. I don't really care how things look on the internet. I'm going to change whatever I need to change according to the things that I have learned that have led to better health in myself. And better health and results in all of my private clients. And then I just want to share that with the world. And I don't care if it goes completely against something that I said five years ago. That doesn't matter to me. All that matters is people get the best advice as it is available to me in real time. So that's really what this is about. Correct me if I'm wrong. Because your idea, I think that's why we're leaning into this, right?
0: (laughs) One thousand percent. One thousand percent. I think that there's something about stories and about conversation that really hits people differently because I'm also a nutritional therapist. and it's like we come at this from such different angles. You are such a biochem nerd. And I think I come at this from a very deeply body image, the intersectionality of body image, body liberation mindset, the way that society plays into all of these things. And that's been a a big interest of mine. And also like we're two completely different types of people, right? So you're a single guy living a certain type of lifestyle, which is beautiful and fabulous and uh, And then I am a single mom with two sets of twins, all with special needs. And I think that us as people and as friends have such respect for each other and have done so much hard work on ourselves that I think that we're able to have conversations from completely different vantage points aiming towards the same thing really constructively, which is not something I think we see a whole lot on the Internet today so yeah totally i like literally came to you with like here's all my notes i have a whole presentation and i this is what i do when i have an idea for you i'm just like i'm going to talk really fast for about 15 minutes about all the reasons i think that we should do this thing and why i think it's a great idea and like two minutes in, you're like cool sold what else and i'm like but yeah i can i can i give the rest <laughs> of my presentation please i got bullet points i can do puppets like I, i've got can i say my things so which is just our dynamic kind of like in a nutshell too
1: yeah, I'm. I'm always so excited to try new stuff. And like the biggest piece that you touched on that I care so much about is like we do. Obviously, I am who I am. Not technically mm-hmm. a single guy here in Austin. I'm gonna, You said that, not me.
0: <laughs> I did.
1: Oh Lord.
0: Okay. Like single uh, legally legal <laughs> legal status only. Legally, what, do you fill yes, out on yes. your taxes. So that's only, it. Yes. Just taxes is taxes time because it's that time of year. My bad. Yeah, yeah. I love you, Megan. Don't hate me. Okay.
1: <laughs> No, no, she'll love it. But um, yeah, so I wanted to talk about the... <laughs> I, I love that you bring up like where you're coming from in body image, right? Like I actually think we're in very different positions where like my whole life revolves around like my health and my entrepreneurship and my biohacking and really what I call self-actualization. Like part of what I want to do in all this is help people understand that like health is actually not my primary focus. If I can get people to understand that like the only reason I am so laser focused on health and have been for so many years is because i want to live my best life without health ever being a potential obstacle and this is where we need to kind of rework what the word health even means because when we get to the body image position we've talked a lot about this in private conversations where the the way that we treat overweight people and even the word obese like this medical term of obesity which like i will say i slip in and out of using obesity very regularly. It's just part of my vernacular because of the way that I study research, right? So
0: it's a medical term. It really is yeah.
1: like, it's a medical term. Yeah, and that's that's where the most, the, like the vast majority of emotional abuse comes from. And what we'll talk about on this podcast is ultimately we have been led to believe that losing weight as a whole, like total body mass is something that needs to happen yes. and something that is automatically healthy which is fundamentally bullshit. (laughs) And that's like the piece that that I really try to get across to people is day one, private clients come to me and I'm like, my job is to get you to love yourself and your body exactly as it is right now. And to give you the light switch decision that you can make today, that you are now a healthy person going forward and your body, your life, your, your thought processes, your mental health, all of it will reflect that going forward, but just helping you understand that you have to kind of have the mindset of a healthy person first and we're trying to get you to the greater good which is every single aspect. I promise every client I have if you stick with this and you do what I teach you, 1 year from now, 2 years from now, 3 years from now, you will not recognize a single aspect of your life and I don't much care what you weigh mm-hmm. physically. 100%. That's not what this is
0: about. 100%, 100%. I feel the same way with the clients that I work with too. This like health marker of what your size is, is just so, it leads us all down a a really horrible path that we just don't, we don't need to go down. And I like to call it with my clients sometimes like your happy weight, like what's your happy size, your happy weight, which is where the effort that you're putting in the amount of mental capacity that you're giving your diet and health and everything every day Mm -hmm. allows you to have a quality of life that allows you to be happy while also having a body that is functional enough where you're also experiencing life the way that you want to experience. That's the only weight I'm interested in. Yeah. I'm not interested in how badly you want a six pack for summer necessarily. If you're depressed and have massive anxiety and all of your thoughts are about food, like there's about 10 things we need to do before we even talk about a bikini.
1: Yeah. The crazy thing about this and what, what this episode we wanted to focus on is this idea of calories, right? Is it's Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, I fundamentally believe, and I will try to help listeners see my perspective on this by the end of this episode that telling people to eat less food is one of the dumbest things we have ever done in the history of the human race i genuinely mean that and like i get all these hateful comments on tiktok and stuff because i shit on calorie deficits i'm like you shouldn't be living in a calorie deficit and people give me all these hateful comments and they're like well you're talking about like extreme deficits right like you're talking about people like in a 2,000 calorie a day deficit i'm like no i'm talking about any deficit ever over the long term i don't care if it's a 100 calorie deficit if you try to do that chronically over the long term i've been trying like hell to get this term out in there that instead of calling it calorie deficits we need to call it self cannibalizing because that is what's happening you are eating your own body tissue that's literally what it is right Mm -hmm. so trying to and i can explain this and i have all the evidence in the world to support this that eating more food is the way to better health and the only reason that we think eating less food is the way to better health is because nobody paid attention to any of this until we had, again, medical term, an obesity epidemic in the year 1990, which is when the first time that the government ever started saying that adults need a a 2,000-calorie-a-day diet, and now all your packaged foods say this is based on a a 2,000-calorie-a-day diet. There's no scientific evidence behind that whatsoever. Not a single study was done. Nothing was done. To show that an adult needs 2,000 calories a day. Now we know after the fact turns out that an average human actually needs about 3,000 calories a day as an adult, as an average across, across the board, right? So 1,000 calories more than we currently thought. So that's really what I want to talk about today is just ultimately that this idea of counting calories is literally telling people to damage their health way less in the world at any and all costs. All that matters is we make you weigh less. And people do not ever stop to consider that you can get there through a different direction, that you can actually change your body composition through eating more food. And that's what we're going to talk about today.
0: Yeah, let's dig right in. So. How did you stumble across this? Calorie deficit was the only, was literally the only thread. That was the only narrative. You've got to work out like crazy. I'm sure like male expectations, were they talking about protein at the time? Like what was the narrative when you got started on all of this and how you got from calorie deficit, just like all the rest of us into the beliefs that you have now and the science that you've been seeing?
1: Yeah. So honestly, for me, it started when I was 15. I was counting the days till I could lift weights because my dad said I couldn't lift weights till I was 15 because it would stump my growth. He used to always say that. But I played hockey for 10 years as a kid and like I ended up a, a chubby kid. Like I went into freshman year of high school. I was like five foot two and I weighed like 190 pounds, 195 pounds, which is like, you know, 20 to 30 pounds depending on where I'm at more than I weigh today. And I was five foot two, you know, 13 year old or whatever right and and around 15 i started lifting weights i was lifting weights an hour a day running on a treadmill i actually came in through like a back door of All I was reading at the time was Muscle and Fitness magazine. Oh, gosh. So it was actually more about I was trying to build muscle as much as I can. Got it. So from like age 15 till probably about like 25 for me, it was more about building muscle, just like building as much muscle as I could. And then I became a boxer in college. And then I got into CrossFit and powerlifting and bodybuilding. And I hired personal trainers and I hired Olympians and I learned kettlebells and I did jiu-jitsu and all the things, right? Like just nonstop, Uh, P90X, Insanity, all the things that people did. So for me, it was more like I was actually trying to eat a specific amount of food. I was trying to hit a goal of eating food for many of these years on my my journey. And then, of course, my music career in Nashville led me down some bad paths. And I was drinking a lot of alcohol and like eating a lot of shitty food and things like that. And, and mind you, this entire time from age 13, I mean age 5 when I was eating Oreo cookies and milk before bed every night and drinking Coca-Cola and having Pop-Tarts for breakfast, it was like... My whole life was a processed food diet, mm-hmm. and it was really around age 27 maybe that I found paleo mm-hmm. and switched to a paleo diet and like, lost a ton of body fat almost immediately. And Then the story of my niece Savannah was born terminally ill. She was having over 300 seizures a day. I learned about the ketogenic diet from a neurologist who used the ketogenic diet to treat epileptic seizures in children, infants, toddlers. So I was like, wow, that's interesting. And then I learned about like the biochemistry behind that. And I got into the keto low carb world. So then I'm like paleo low carb. And then I learned about lectins and all these anti-nutrients. So then I'm like keto plus low carb plus anti-nutrient free (laughs) diet (laughs) and having this. And I kind of like built Clovis from that. (laughs) But it was really around that time. Once I went paleo and lost a ton of body fat, I mean, I could work out a fifth of the time and not count calories, and like look amazing, and have abs all the time, and I was like, this is crazy, like this is a food quality thing, all that's happening here, is this is a food quality thing, and that was where Clovis came from, where it was like, listen, if you can eat foods as they exist in nature, period, that's it, if you just eat real nutrient-dense foods, over time, it doesn't matter how long it takes, but over time, you will achieve optimal health, now, if you come into it, like I'm gonna go paleo, so that I can lose 30 pounds and have six-pack abs by my sister's wedding 30 days from now. Well, then you have a problem on your hands. It just doesn't work that way. You're going to have to do things that are harmful to your health to get that level of physique. And that's really where I ended up where I am now because all these different diets I was doing, and then I built the Clovis diet, and then I was introduced to Paul Saladino, and Saladino became a friend of mine, and he was on the carnivore diet, and I did a full year of carnivore and I was doing three to five days a week of powerlifting and cold showers plus intermittent fasting. I'm getting in the sauna every day. I'm eating strict carnivore. And it's you're just so satiated. You're so full on a carnivore diet that I was probably eating like, you know, on a good day, I was getting probably eighteen hundred calories with all this power lifting and everything. And I mean, I need twenty eight hundred calories a day, probably minimum.
0: Just hanging out. Maybe yeah? even more than that when I
1: was powerlifting. So was, yeah. yeah, so I was at a huge calorie deficit. And before I knew it, like, my testosterone was, like, in the low 200s. Like, my testosterone right now is, like, over 900. At the time, it was in the low 200s. I was storing belly fat like crazy. Like, in a massive calorie deficit, I was just storing belly fat, storing belly fat. I was like, yo, something is wrong. My thyroid was in the tank. Like, I just completely fucked my hormones. My hormonal balance was trash on a zero-poison diet, right? That's my whole thing. It's like, this... I preach a zero poison diet don't do cheat meals don't eat a twinkie ever that kind of stuff so so there i was on a fully poison-free diet i was eating like 100 red meat and water and salt and i'm gaining body fat and my health is just falling apart
0: right you were doing everything perfect yeah. and your health and energy and all of that i remember this time got to such a place where you were like hey yes. <laughs> something's not right and i can't figure it out is that something that that you're comfortable talking about
1: Totally, Yeah. big time orthorexia. I literally was like, I, I will not be caught dead eating a bite of broccoli. Like broccoli is terrible for you. It has oxalates. It has anti nutrients. Has all these things. Like especially raw. Like I would never touch it. So I definitely was in a state of orthorexia, full blown, and that was why I brought the team in because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like this is a psychological issue. I have backed myself into a corner here. And what I didn't understand at the time, I mean, and th- those doctors, the first thing they had me do is go from zero carbohydrates a day to over 250 grams of carbs a day. They made 2,500 calories per day of food a non-negotiable for me, which was terrifying. And I like literally had to sit with myself and say like, all right, man, like when I get new clients, I expect them to do what I tell them to do. So I'm going to remove my health from my own hands. I'm going to put it in the hands of these doctors and these, they're called Wild Health. They're an amazing company and they have all these like sports performance coaches and all this stuff. So, I mean, it was a lot. They knew about my training. They knew my blood panels. They knew everything. And um, ultimately, I just listened to what they said. Six months later, like, my testosterone was amazing. I was absolutely shredded. I had, like, a killer six-pack. I was, like, living the dream. And I was training three days a week. Literally just, like, for, like, an hour, one-hour sessions three, three times a week. I, like, completely brought everything back, which is what led me down the rabbit hole. I was, I was like, wait a second. Like, I still believe that, that most food in grocery stores is toxic poison and you should not eat it at all, let alone this in-moderation bullshit. But the piece that I was missing... Was energy. And once I realized that there was this entire field of study, kind of started by Ray Pete, as far as I know, um, uh, this idea of bioenergetics and like the available energy in the body. And then that set me down the rabbit hole of realizing, like, oh, all that we're doing with obese and overweight people is shifting them into a state of low energy where every aspect of their health is falling apart. But if the scale number is going down, we tell them to continue. And then if the scale number stops going down, we tell them to eat even less. So it becomes this thing of like, I was looking around, literally feeling like I was in the twilight zone. Like, how can we not see that we are asking these people to kill themselves? It is like, we are so uncomfortable with the fact that you have extra weight That we are down to kill you. We will make your bones weaker. We will make your tissues start to fail. You will have a menorrhea as a woman. You will lose your period. Your hair will be falling out. You might crack your teeth eating because you have no minerals in your diet. You will bruise easily. You will be pale. You will have no libido. You will have depression and anxiety. And then we will drug you for your depression and anxiety. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt at this point That I can find literature on every single one of those things showing that if you give them more energy, which is measured as ATP in our body, ATP is the molecule in the human body that carries energy to the cells. So we say, okay, we can study ATP levels and see that depressed people have 20% less ATP. So I started going down this rabbit hole of like, oh my God, basically every single chronic condition that we know of has energy somewhere in the in the puzzle it is a piece of the puzzle of this chronic illness or whatever it is that we're dealing with and it is a lack of energy in the body and the fastest way to cause a lack of energy in the body is to give the body less food to create energy from and i was like oh my god and i started realizing that we have this just catastrophic low energy problem like the epidemic of chronic disease and obesity is an epidemic of low energy
0: wow That leads me to a couple of questions. So is it really just as simple as we decide to start eating more or eating more whole foods? How do we know how our body is processing energy? I've had clients that have been uncomfortable working with me before because I've known that they were on too much of a caloric deficit and they were so scared that in the process of getting up to an accurate energy level, they would gain some weight. Yeah. And just like mentally could not get around that barrier so what does the process look like of going from having a damaged metabolism into eating in a way that supports the healing that we need
1: yeah totally i mean well the interesting thing here is that the idea that you're going to automatically start eating more food and gain weight is like it's not entirely wrong right Mm -hmm. but it's also looking at it and saying what is it that we're eventually trying to accomplish
0: Thirty thousand foot view
1: Exactly, yeah. People want to mm-hmm. lose weight so quickly. So they're in a situation where they're like, hey, I'm counting calories, basically starving myself, and I'm not losing any weight. And then they come to people like us and we're like, okay, well, that means we're going to do something different. We're going to move in another direction. And they're like, no, I don't think you heard me. Like, I want to keep losing weight. And I'm like, okay, you just told me that the things you're doing are not working at all, and yet that you're not losing any weight. In fact, you may even be storing more body fat, and things are getting worse. Yeah, but uh, also I want to keep losing weight. So if you tell me to eat more, like that doesn't make sense. I would like to keep doing what I'm doing and keep losing weight. Okay, you just told me that you're not losing weight, right? (laughs) It is this like circular thing that we go through. So it's helping people understand. I try to break it down in analogies of like when we talk about energy balance, all the the evidence-based influencers and the PhDs and the MDs and all these people online are like, well, weight loss, weight gain is all about energy balance. It's energy in, energy out. This is fundamentally flawed. It is not energy in, energy out. It's fuel in, energy out. So you could technically call a gallon of gasoline energy if you wanted to, but it would be slightly incorrect because it is only potential energy. It requires a catalyst to turn that matter into energy, right? So if we put gasoline in a car and we fill this car up with gasoline and then we take the spark plugs out of that engine and we try to start the car and drive down the street, nothing's going to happen. You'll have a full tank of gas, you'll have plenty of potential energy available to you, plenty of fuel, but the car is not going to go anywhere because that fuel, the machinery, is incapable of generating energy from fuel. This is where most humans have found themselves today. So it's not just the calorie deficit that's a problem, it's that most people are eating a calorie deficit that is also... All of their calories are coming from processed junk foods, especially like the when the low fat craze happened in like the 70s, 80s and 90s, where all of a sudden people are eating like fucking saltine crackers and brown rice and they're like trying to figure out why they can't lose weight. When you take things and this is a longer conversation, but when we take things like seed oils, polyunsaturated fats and those get into the tissues, they shut down the body's ability to create energy properly. Then when you're at a significant caloric deficit, your cortisol spikes, your stress hormones spike to give you energy to go find food. But instead, we run around with our cortisol spiked all day. And we know directly, like in vivo and in vitro studies, if you just put a bunch of cortisol in the cell, it can't generate energy properly. So you have this situation where people are super underfed, They have toxins in their system from these food additives like seed oils. And then you have artificial flavorings and dyes and colorings and all this other bullshit, pesticides, right? All the stuff that's in our food. Now, estrogenics that are found in tap water, like it's really gnarly. We're getting poisoned constantly. And then also not eating enough food to support our internal system. So what ends up happening is all of the fuel that you're taking in is now being stored because your body can't convert it into energy. So even on a low-calorie diet, you find yourself losing no body fat And this is what drives me crazy. Sometimes people will say, like, well, what about prisoners of war in the war? You've never seen a prisoner of war come out of a POW camp. Oh, my God. Obese. They're all skinny. I'm like, there is a huge difference between those people, which are basically on, like, probably a hundred calorie a day diet where they're, like, maybe giving them some oatmeal, like, once every two days or something and people that are following an 800, a 900, 1000 calorie diet, and virtually 100% of that is toxic poison that is bad for their cells.
0: This is the difference between a low calorie diet and fasting. The way that the body responds to fasting is very different than what the body does in a low-calorie state because it's just different, it's completely different processes, which is why fasting, when done correctly, can be therapeutic and why low-calorie, especially chronically, will always be detrimental. The other thing that I wanted to say, too, is I hear the prisoners of war thing all the time. If the best argument you can come up with for a health claim is, like, World War II, Yeah. We might want to like reassess our argument just a little bit. That's the best you can come up with. Try harder. That's horrible (laughs) for like so many reasons. Anyway, yeah, that's a whole other rabbit hole in and of itself. But that's something that when you talked about it the first time really kind of clicked with me. I have a pretty significant history of eating disorders. And the difference between fasting and low calorie, uh, also your explanation of like body set point was actually very liberating for me because i suffered with this for years for years and years and years a little trigger warning like calorie talk weight talk um eating disorder talk for a minute here but i would do like a 300 500 and 800 day cycle of calories. That's what I would allow myself. And the easiest way to feel really confident that you are getting the exact calories that you want to get is by knowing the calories of processed foods. Mm-hmm. I knew how much was in like a mini York peppermint patty, how much was in a single quarter cup of fruity pebbles, like how much was in frozen yogurt, because those things are, are standardized in such a way. And so even at these really low calorie days, And I did this for months, if not a year. I don't quite have an accurate recollection of it because my brain wasn't functioning properly during that time. But there was a lot of processed foods in that environment because it's what i could rely on you know what i mean mm-hmm. it was a lot easier to to guess right the sugar content of ripe blueberries versus unripe blueberries is going to be different the sugar content in a york peppermint patty is always going to feel like it's the same it feels like you can trust it i was doing cardio non-stop and like i still was five three and a half going back and forth between like 165 175 pounds and like my weight didn't move and i did this for months Mm-hmm. When I started actually being confident enough or knowing that I needed help enough to talk to people about what I was doing and what was going on, one of the first people that I told was a guy that I was involved with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he was just like, I don't think that this can be true. I think that you have to be lying because you would be a lot thinner if this is what you were doing. I think you're doing this for attention. Yeah, And it was devastating. It was devastating. Yeah. And even now still with... Traditional anorexia nervosa or atypical anorexia are two different categories purely based on your BMI number. Because we're still in such an archaic way of thinking that it doesn't count unless you're at a BMI of like, I wanna say, under some, you have to look like a fucking prisoner of war before the system that we're in currently will accept that you have an eating disorder. Otherwise, you're a fat person who's lying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we see today. Right. And this is what drives me crazy. We're like, I really have gone hard. Like that's the other thing that I'm I'm careful of in my content, or I try to be at least is like, I'm like a very, very well trained in combat sports. I'm very aggressive. I'm very alpha. And like, I get so mad at these fucking influencers because the amount that you will hear influencers say tracking calories is harder than you think. People commonly eat way more food than they think they do at training, and they forgot to measure one tablespoon of olive oil in the pan when they cook their steak. And I'm like, you fucking, I can't, I, I get so mad, right? And it's this, it's the emotional abuse surrounding this. What they're doing is influencers play this game with weight loss and thermodynamics. They say, oh, the first law of thermodynamics is that energy can never be created or destroyed, this whole thing.
0: A hundred percent. It's like actual physics. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So one is the understanding that thermodynamics were invented based on closed energy systems, which is not what the human body is. What the evidence-based coaches and influencers do that drives me nuts is they play a game with the term weight loss. They sit here and they say, you don't understand. Because of thermodynamics, if you are in a calorie deficit, you have to lose weight. If you're in a calorie surplus, you have to gain weight, right? So they use this as a hard and fast rule that can never be doubted, can never be called into question. If you call it into question, they will call you a quack. And here's why they do it. Because any lack of results that you get on their plan is 100% your fault and never theirs. You will, No matter what happens, you can say, I've been following your plan for six months and I haven't lost a single pound. Well, the influencer chimes in. Well, I hate to tell you my plan works perfectly because it's based on the laws of thermodynamics. So you're probably like waking up in the middle of the night and sneaking Snickers bars or you're taking sips of orange juice when nobody's looking or you forgot to track your diet Coke yesterday or you're not tracking your calories properly or you're not exercising. You're getting your 10,000 steps a day, right? They have this whole fucking spiel they go on about how the only possible way you cannot be seeing results is if you are doing something wrong. They are gods because they somehow understand thermodynamics better than everyone else, apparently. But none of what they say holds up to scrutiny. So you have this situation where you just have these assholes running around saying that is just calories in, calories out. And if you're not getting results, then it's your fault. So what is that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's gaslighting and emotional abuse. If you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend who treated you like that, I would highly suggest you fucking dump them.
0: Mike, drop. That's that's how we both feel about the whole thing, 100%. From a marketing perspective, from a very cold marketing perspective, it's a brilliant fucking grift. Yeah. Because if it's <laughs> always the customer's fault, whether it's working or not, you always have a backdoor that you can get out of. And like as a company, that's just never anything that we've been okay with
1: yeah they're not confident in their own shit and then you have the situation where we haven't even talked about the fact that this entire conversation is based around weight loss right and they're playing a game with weight loss because everybody knows nobody is coming to you no one's coming to me or you as a coach and saying hey listen i'm really interested in losing 20 pounds of weight and i go okay what if we keep your body fat the same and we just you know Diminish uh, the integrity of your bones a little bit, and maybe we strip some of your lean muscle tissue, and maybe your hair starts to fall out, and your nails and your teeth get weaker. Like, we can probably get you down 20 pounds. How's that sound? And they're like, Are you crazy? You're a lunatic. Why would you even suggest that to me? And I'm like, This is the game that we're playing with weight loss.
0: 100%. When women come to me and they're like, I, I just want to lose that last 10 to 15 pounds, I'm like, Okay, gently and with respect. 10 pounds is like two solid bowel movements and one or two days of dehydration. Yes. Like, is that actually what you want? Exactly. Because I don't think it is. I think you've had a got an image in your head of what you want your body to look like, Or there's a size you want to get into or a dress that you want to fit into or like an aesthetic. And I think that it's just so important to differentiate too. Like there's health goals and there's body aesthetic goals and they are not the same thing. They might have overlapping circles like a Venn diagram, but they are 100% not the same thing. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with going for an aesthetic goal more power to you if you know what you want like we can go reach for those aesthetic goals but let's not kid ourselves or call it a health goal so that we can shame ourselves into doing the thing that we don't actually want to do but we think if we're thinner or more cut or blah 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 blah, blah, blah like other aspects of our life will get better let's get very 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 acute as to what the goals are and why nobody wants to lose 20 pound of weight Anybody that wants to lose 20 pounds wants it to be fat. Yes. And that is an entirely different ball game.
1: Absolutely. hundred percent. And this is where like, I, this is where I think I, I'm like particularly triggering for people is like, then you have me who comes into the picture and I'm like, here's a picture of me walking out of the ocean, 10% body fat with shredded six pack abs. And I'm telling you that this is not the way to do it. Right. And, and also I work with professional MMA fighters. Like, I get people to ridiculously low body weights as quickly as possible. Like, you've seen pictures of PETA flexing with, like, 12-pack abs. You can see every muscle in her body, right? And I pride myself on the fact that when I'm working with a female fighter, they don't lose their period. All female—almost all female MMA fighters, along with gymnasts and any other crossfitters, all these competitive women, these female athletes— They lose their period and it's a low energy problem. And I know how to fix the low energy problem. Mm -hmm. So this is where people end up getting really pissed off because they can't look at me and be like, this guy doesn't know what to do. I'm like, listen, homie, if you want a six pack, I will get you six pack. If you want to deadlift 300 pounds, I'll teach you to deadlift 300 pounds. You want to learn how to fight? I'll teach you how to fight. But I'm also telling you right now, none of this is good for your health and longevity. None of it. Let's not play that fucking
0: game. 100%. I've seen you do it anytime I'm working with an athlete or dating an athlete. I'm always like, hey. Can I get some help? You always (laughs) help me out when I'm working with anybody like that. But that's another thing is like, I think people start biohacking and reaching for longevity, not understanding that that to a certain degree is a luxury. Mm -hmm. Once we can get your mental and physical health in a good spot that's when we can start talking about optimal carbohydrate intake for before and after workouts. That's when we can start talking about you want to run a marathon, like, okay, let's figure that out. It's almost the cart before the horse, right? If you are not happy with your body's functionality in life, and it's not due to disability... We need to start there. We don't need to be talking about how you need a six pack, right? What's your brain doing? Like, how are you responding when we tell you that we want to up your calories by 100 calories a week for the next six weeks to get you to a place where maybe your period will come back, right? How are you responding to that? We don't need to be biohacking before we've gotten to a place of life feels good. How can I make it better? right? And I yeah. think that that's a piece that people miss because your content is so across the board. Like you're talking about cold plunges and you're talking about let's break down what a carbohydrate is at a very basic level. And I think understanding where you're at in the journey, that self-awareness is, is wildly important. And part of that self-awareness is understanding like, okay, the way that I've been doing things isn't working. I had this wild realization the other day. I don't know if this is going to be too tangent-D, but we'll go down it anyway. Things have been very hard for me for a while, right? I've got all these kids. We're in east but Jesus, the tundra of alaska and i was having a, a woe is me moment and i was like i have been working so hard i've been working so hard why am i not seeing the fruits of my labor why am i not getting results and this little bitty voice in the back of my brain who doesn't speak loudly enough for my liking but she was there was just like are you working hard or are you stressed mm-hmm. to a fucking 12 mm-hmm. and they feel exactly the same right now and i was like I'm stressed to a 12 and my anxiety feelings are through the roof and I am busy, 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 but I'm not working at anything other than treading water right now. And I am very successfully treading water because that's what the chaos is, right? The like, okay, I'm going to eat this and I'm going to get the kids here and I'm going to try and fit in a workout here and I'm going to make sure that X, Y, and Z is done for Clovis here. And then I still need to have social interactions somehow Mm. because that's what human beings need. And like all of the things and what's going on with the insurance for the kids and this doctor's appointment didn't get taken. I'm very busy, but am I actually working at the thing that I want or is all of my energy going into the thing that's actually happening? Because what's actually happening is really the hallmark of what you're doing. And I think with diet culture and extreme restriction and low calorie, it's like, it can feel like you are working so fucking hard. Yeah. But in reality, the harder work would be, can I get myself to eat three square a day of whole foods? Mm -hmm. Because that's terrifying. Yeah. The harder work would be like, can I get into the gym and lift weights or buy myself a kettlebell? And actually lift, even though I'm terrified of, quote unquote, bulking up. Can I Can I do that? Even though we know that, like, that is such a very distinct physical result from a lot of actual physical hard work, particularly with women, to look like the influencers that they're seeing, that they're terrified of getting that big, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be the harder work. Like, can I do that? So I think yeah. that there's this weird kind of rigmarole in diet culture where you're suffering all the time, and it feels like a lot of work, and it's a lot of mental effort, but it's not actually the work whereas i think what you and i do as coaches and what clovis proposes is let's do the work that would make you a more at peace functional joy experiencing human being over the Mm -hmm. long haul as opposed to the chaotic mess that sometimes lives in a smaller body that they still don't like
1: yeah I mean, and this this may be hard for some people to hear, but I, when I explain energy and how important energy is, like you need energy for the, the car to move, if you are living in a low energy state, I am pretty well convinced, just my opinion here, right, but uh, that you are incapable of complex thinking and systems thinking. Your brain is literally starved, right? Your, your basal metabolic rate, like what you burn just at rest doing nothing, 20% of that goes to your brain. And I always use the example of grandmasters at chess. Right? These chess grandmasters sit in a chair and they play chess, and they burn six thousand calories a day. Wow! So you have this situation where, like, virtually every single female client I've ever had come to me, we do our private Zoom calls. Every single one of them cries. Every single one of them has an emotional breakdown at some point in one of our calls. If we work together for three months and we have twelve calls, you know six of them that person is crying and they're telling me all the things that they're upset about and they're super stressed out right and this is where we go back to like you know earlier times and i got a couple things i want to talk to you about here that i just want to mention like i talk about how much people used to eat in earlier decades which is way more than we eat now right everyone keeps insisting that we eat more i'm like we only eat more since we've been measuring how much we eat in clinical studies which is like based on from like 1977 till now it's the only thing that we're looking at we don't go further back in time To before processed food exists. So we have this situation where, like, every single woman that comes to me is like trying to juggle the fact that she's working a job and they may be, most of them are married with children. So they're working a job, they want to try to have a romantic relationship, they're trying to raise their kids, they're trying to diet, they're trying to get to the gym, all this stuff. And they're taking advice from some influencer online whose job it is to go to the gym and take pictures of themselves. So when you have some bro, some 28-year-old who looks like a cast member from Top Gun with fucking six-pack abs, who I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, we just saw this with Liver King, like, trust me, TNF Alpha or whatever dude you're following – On TikTok is injecting himself with something it's either testosterone or it's totally legal peptides or he's doing something I assure you right and then he's spending three hours a day in the gym and all of his macros and calories are perfectly dialed and his job is to get on zoom calls and tell their clients that they're lying and if they're not getting results they should just count more calories and go to the gym and stop being lazy and then he takes glamour shots of himself and puts it online that's that guy's life his life is way less stressful than yours is right So you have these people, and again, we talked about cortisol. We know that cortisol in the cell leads to excess fat gain and prevents the body's ability to generate ATP. So if you are stressed, you cannot make the same amount of energy from the foods that you eat. We know this on a cellular level. This is biology, ladies and gentlemen. So when you're running around, the description that you gave is incredible. You are stressed out of your mind, and you're like, why isn't anything working for me? We have to get you to step back and take a look at this holistically and like taking a nap is probably better for you today than you going to the gym. Yeah. That's honestly where you're at and when you are running around that stressed out at all times, super stressed. You're you're never going to get the results that you're after. So I literally start with the first things I do in my in my client practices is personal development. We start with personal development.
0: Mm-hmm. That personal development piece that stress managing because that also leads back to food stress management. I feel like, especially for modern women, that has to be piece number one of the whole entire puzzle. What stress-mitigating practices do we have in place? What emotional regulation practices do we have in place that help us navigate these big, tough feelings? When your body doesn't feel safe and the world doesn't feel safe the way in which you make yourself feel safe is reverting back to your oldest neural pathways of what makes you feel safe. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, whether you're fighting with your spouse, whether you lost your job, whether you now are relying on those stipends from the government, Ben and Jerry's chubby hubby tastes exactly the same as it did three years ago. You know,
1: the fastest way we know of period to lower cortisol levels in the body to get out of the stress state is to consume sugar. Wow. It's the fastest way to do it. So of course, when what's available is Ben and Jerry's and Coca-Cola and Domino's pizza and all this stuff, and everyone's stressed out of their fucking minds, they're like, how come I can't turn down the Ben and Jerry's? What's happening? What I know now, yo, make yourself a fruit salad and drizzle a bunch of raw honey on it. I don't care if you eat 200 grams of sugar in this big fruit bowl of honey, it's going to help you chill the fuck out with these super high stress levels, which brings me to the point, I want to share this uh, 1939 yearbook of agriculture stated that an average 154-pound man living in New York City at that time, a sedentary man, mind you, there are no Globo gyms, there's no CrossFit gyms, the treadmill had not been invented, nobody was jogging for fun, this wasn't a real thing, right? We are way more active now than this guy was. Totally lean, healthy body weight, was consuming 4,400 calories a day. 4,400! Like, I have looked this up, The Rock, right now, eats 4,100 calories a day. He eats 4,100 calories a day to look the way that he does, right? So back in 1939, this guy's eating 4,400 calories a day. He's super healthy, eating like three times what an average human eats today and thriving in their health and wellness. One of the single biggest pieces I try to tell people is you have to understand that over 90% of all of the nutrition studies we have, when some bro online says, bro, show me the science show me the studies, Right more than 90% of all the nutrition science that has ever been conducted in the world was conducted after the year 2000. Now, this is critically important because hyperpalatable, heavily processed junk foods have been flooding the market since the 1960s. And then the god-awful food pyramid that we all know and love was being preached in every public school classroom across the country by the 1990s. So now here we are today in 2023, where more than 90% of all the nutrition studies that have ever existed were conducted on a society full of subjects in these studies who live on a standard American Western diet. In the literature, it will say subjects following a Western diet. Here's what we did. We broke it up into fat and protein and carbs, and these ones went low carb, and these ones went high protein, and blah, blah, blah. And we play this game as if this data is useful in any way. The problem is, all of it is poison. If you study a fundamentally sick population who lives 100% of their life on processed junk foods, 70% of the American diet is processed junk foods. So you're studying a sick population, then you're bringing them into a science setting, and you're feeding them the same food that they eat out in public. You're feeding them poison, and then you're sitting here with all these evidence-based people that are just... I mean, just... if
0: it's not an observational study, too, you know what I mean? If it's Absolutely. not just a questionnaire that people are filling out, if it's like even an actual has some grit to it scientific study to begin with, which is just few and far between, to my understanding.
1: Oh, 100%. I'm, even, I'm talking specifically about randomized control trials right now. Like, okay. anytime I'm okay. talking about science, I'm talking about randomized control trials on humans. But when you actually dig into it, which I have, surprise, surprise, <laughs> there are literal full-blown meta-analyses... A meta-analysis is basically uh, an an overarching view that takes a certain criteria. So they'll say, this meta-analysis looks at randomized control trials that meet XYZ criteria in which they were overfeeding subjects to see what happened. So there are literal meta-analyses of randomized control trials of people being overfed by, like, thousands of calories a day. Like I was looking at one where they overfed people by 1,250 calories a day. And this is not just them choosing a caloric content. They're measuring these people's BMR, measuring their activity levels, and then giving them 1,250 calories extra above what they need after all that. And turns out this whole idea, like, you know, the calories in, calories out model will say for every 3,500 calories you eat, you will gain a pound of weight, Mm -hmm. right? Or a pound of fat, whatever. This, in all of my research, I have never seen that math check out. A, they don't gain nearly as much weight as they should for eight weeks or whatever they've done, and in a clinical setting, randomized control trial. And two, that weight they're gaining is not body fat. In some cases, it is. But you may have someone who gains, you know, five pounds or whatever, and 30% of that is body fat. So again, like, it just doesn't check out. Now you run into the, the thing where weight loss, weight gain is the problem because we're not talking about body composition. And what I've found in all these overfeeding studies is if you feed someone a high-protein diet, they don't gain body fat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even if you overfeed them like crazy. And what's crazy about the scientific literature that we get into again, I saw one that was talking about a high-protein diet. The group fed a high-protein diet, didn't gain any body fat. They did gain some body weight, but they didn't gain any body fat. They gained like, like 11% of the, of the weight they gained was, was body fat, very low percentage. Right. And they were eating 27% of their calories from protein. That's not a high-protein diet in my world. What would happen if you put them at a 40% protein? So you have these guys that are out here just ranting, saying there's no evidence to back up what you're saying. I'm like, there are mountains of evidence to back up what I'm saying. You have to understand that something like two-thirds of all nutrition science is either directly funded or indirectly funded by food companies. It's like two-thirds of science, if you you combine big pharma and big food, it's almost 100% of scientific studies are funded by these companies, right? So if you say, all right, All these studies are funded by food companies. In what world does anybody think that a company like Nestle is going to say, you know what? I think we should fund a new study. One group will be fed nothing but our toxic junk food products. And the other group, they're going to be fed nothing but grass-fed steak and wild-caught fish and pasture-raised chicken and organic fruits and maybe some organic sweet potatoes. We're going to feed both groups the same number of calories and we're going to fund this thing and run it for six months and we're going to see whose health is better in the end
0: no thank you hard pass
1: do you really think Nestle's going to fund that study you really think that's going to happen
0: <laughs> bill would be fired for that idea <laughs> at the meeting yeah,
1: exactly 100 <laughs> percent. bill's going to lose his job hey bill you're a dummy you get no bonus we're taking your salary and giving it to the shareholders <laughs> that's, that's what goes down.
0: Your name tag is going in the trash. <laughs> exactly.
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent, right? And this is what I mean. We're like, I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. How is it that we have found ourselves in a world where like if I stand up and I say, hey guys, I think the only reason that we think caloric deficits are good and eating less food is good is because everyone's eating poison. So Uh, it makes sense that if we feed humans less poison, that maybe some good things will happen. But I don't think that that means less food (laughs) is the lesson here. I think less poison is the lesson. And then when I flip it on its head and say, not only that, but if we feed people like a lot more food. Now, of course, step one is always removing the poison from the diet first.
0: Yes, thank you for articulating that. Yeah.
1: Then feeding the nutrient-dense whole foods and what's hilarious is that the things that I teach is like, I'm trying to teach people to increase their metabolic rate so they can lose weight almost effortlessly without stepping foot in a gym. And if you go to these meta-analyses and randomized control trials and you look through them, what happens in all the overfeeding studies? Look at that. You dramatically increase all of their resting metabolic rates.
0: It's such a valid point and it's so it's so interesting too because we have to believe that the low calorie thing is true, I think, because of a larger issue of only certain people get to have the brass ring of health. And they're people that have worked their asses off for it. And if you don't have it, that's on you and you get to stay inferior. Whereas if we really embrace eating enough good food and not eating seed oils and dyes and preservatives as best as we can manage, health is actually accessible to everybody, right? Like feeling better, having more energy, Being functionally happy, feeling the whole roller coaster of emotions, not just the plethora of ones that make you want to crawl back into bed, is absolutely attainable for everybody if we can change the paradigm out of shame and punishment. If shame and punishment worked for literally anything, we would have an entirely different world because that's all people want to dole out to each other. But it's just time and time again, it never works out that way.
1: Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's why like... The 2018 study I used to cite was that like less than 12% of Americans had ideal metabolic function, and now it's less than 10%. There was a study in 2022 showing that literally 90% of adults had some marker of metabolic dysfunction. Look around you in life. Go talk to any single human that you know in your life and ask them if they've counted calories. Ask them if they spent time in the gym ask them if they've ever tried a diet, ask them if they've ever bought nutritional supplements or some magic pill or potion, ask them if they've ever had a doctor a talk with their doctor about how they can lose weight. Like this is a multi-trillion dollar industry around the globe. And all of it is preaching, if you just eat less, you will be healthy. And it is not working for anybody. And instead of us re-examining this, we play the shame and the guilt and the judgment game, which is exactly what you're talking about. It is... The nutrition space and the fitness space is more toxic than maybe anything else I've ever seen in my life. Megan was incredibly successful in the my, my girlfriend well, was incredibly successful in the beauty industry, and it wasn't until she started seeing Clovis's TikTok and working within our accounts that was like this is the most toxic environment I've ever seen in my life,
0: which is mind blowing. Yeah, Megan is a fucking mogul in the beauty space, mm-hmm. and to have that realization of just how horrible and like mentally just abusive it is in that space is just that i think that speaks volumes about the space that we're in
1: yeah and it is because of calorie restriction that is it that is the problem Every single diet that you look at, it doesn't matter if it's carnivore or keto or paleo or plant based or yeah. just bodybuilding and cutting calories as a whole, you're either restricting all of your food across the board or you're restricting just fat or you're restricting just carbs or you're eating higher protein and less fat and carbs, like the protein to energy ratio diet. Like all of these things are ultimately restrictive. And then every other thing that we teach, whether it's cold plunges or working out or getting in the sauna or fasting, are all additionally stressful, all yeah. shown to spike your stress hormones, like this is a game of how much are you willing to suffer? And if you can somehow make suffering like that your full-time job so that you can do the cold plunge, you can do the workout, then you also have access to all the best foods and you can sleep eight hours uninterrupted because you don't have kids, like these 28-year-old influencers online, they can manage the stress, they can get the results, they can make it work for them. And then they can go out and shame in the rest of the world who don't have the same freedoms they do with their time, their energy, their resources, all of that, right? So that's the entire thing that I'm trying to and help And it's not people. like it's
0: working for them because it's the ideal way. Right. No, exactly. It's only working for them because they have enough mitigation of the damage that they're doing that they can still make it work it's like trying to get a square peg in a round hole if you have all day to just pound that shit into the round hole you're gonna make some progress whereas the rest of us just need the fucking round peg for the round hole and we could save ourselves a lot of heartache and time and energy and physical damage to our persons if we damage. could just accept that that person has committed themselves to the square peg in a round hole
1: Yeah. And we have to look at it long-term, right? Like I know so many people now that were very famous for starting CrossFit gyms, like when the franchise was brand new and all this stuff. And they may have been, you know, like 20 years old and they opened a CrossFit gym and now they're like in their mid-40s and they've had eight different surgeries and they're pissed off because they're gaining weight and they can't train the way they used to. Like nobody does extreme athletics into old age it doesn't work for anybody it just doesn't happen like ronnie coleman i think is like the the most famous uh, bodybuilder of all time and he's in a wheelchair so like fundamentally what i'm trying to help people see is the restriction of food like food is what keeps us alive so unless you are willing to believe that the act of eating food is inherently toxic then you can't believe that less food is better you can't believe that The best example of this that I love is, is again, 1944, before we had hyperpalatable processed foods in the diet, they did something called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. I highly recommend everybody look up the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. They took these guys and they subjected them to a starvation period. They did this for six months. And they restricted their calories. These guys were losing their minds. They had to have chaperones with them because they were trying to like sneak bubblegum and eat it. They were trying to eat more calories than they were allowed to eat. People had to open doors for them. They were struggling to walk upstairs. They couldn't sleep. They were experiencing mania and mood swings and all this stuff. And I always start by telling people those symptoms. Like, that sounds gnarly, doesn't it? This starvation experiment. And I'm like, how much you think they were feeding these guys? Mm-hmm. They were feeding them. 1,570 calories a day, which is more than any woman that has ever come to me for help is currently eating. They're eating 1,200 calories or below or 1,400 calories or below. So now we have a study that clearly states we know that there were, was very little poison in the diet. The processed foods hadn't ruled the day at that point in 1944. These guys were eating on average 3,300 calories a day in their normal daily lives. So we did extreme caloric restriction from 3,300 a day to about 1,600 calories a day and only bad things happened. Nothing good happened to these guys. If you have a poison-free diet and you're only eating amazing nutritious whole foods and you're eating 3,300 calories a day and you're lean and you're fit as a fiddle and you feel great with no chronic illness and we start taking that food away, it's gonna be real bad. So the only reason we can even say restricting calories is quote-unquote good is because the person is already sick, they're already being poisoned, and we feed them less poison and they start to get a little better.
0: Just in the interest of time, how can we tell if we're eating too little and then what are some steps that we should take to head in the right direction? What kind of foods should we be eating when we're starting to increase our food intake? Mm -hmm. And from your experience, how can we do this in a way that doesn't feel like we're betraying everything that we've known about what we need to get the body that we want so badly?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, you can balance all of it, right? Like I still train regularly. I do very heavy uh, resistance training, calisthenics three days a week. I train jujitsu twice a week. I make sure I sleep well. I eat plenty of food. I try to never eat less than 2,800 calories a day. Like there are things that I do. I, I mean, I run four companies. You know, like there's shit that I do that's super stressful. Yeah. And I make sure that I give my body what it needs to recover. You can do these things. Like I love fitness. I love competition. I love all of it. I'm not saying nobody should work out or anything like that. But I'm saying you need to understand your starting point. And if you're, you know, let's say you're 42 years old and you got three kids at home and you're working a job and you're overweight and you don't have time for all the things that, I'm, that I do, don't do what I do. You need to do what's good for you. Right. And step one there, in my opinion, is always removing the toxins first.
0: When you say toxins... I know that people who have been here a while are going to know what you mean by toxins, but what toxins are probably the easiest to avoid? I know there's something like, we could get like incredible, uh, you know, backwards osmosis, water filters and stuff like that. But like, (laughs) what are very, what are things that I can go out and do tomorrow to get this shit away from me and my family?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the most important thing is like, you can get as nerdy as you want to and like start, like, what are PUFAs? What are polyunsaturated fats? It's like, ultimately the more food that you're eating in like boxes and bags is probably going to be a bad idea in most grocery stores. And then if you want to actually learn about what are in those products, like Georgie said this. I just did a great podcast with Georgie Dinkoff, and he was talking about how like before the 1950s, an average food product in grocery stores had anywhere from two to five ingredients maximum. The average one today has anywhere from 20 to 30 ingredients on average. So if you take your favorite cereal or whatever it is and you look at the ingredients list, it's gonna be a mile long. It's gonna be full of a bunch of stuff that you can't pronounce and you don't know what it is. And red dye number 40 and all this stuff where you're like, doesn't? Red dye doesn't sound like food. What is that? you know So that's really the thing. The more things you're eating in boxes and bags, the worst.
0: Anything that you like literally cannot recreate in your kitchen, like anything, there's no recipe that's going to get you Cheerios. There is no conventional oven, air fryer, pan. There's nothing that's going to get you Cheerios. There's nothing that's going to help you create Lucky Charms. There's nothing that's going to let you make an Oreo. Like you can make versions of these things, but if it's not something that a recipe will allow you to recreate in your kitchen for me that's usually like a hard no Mm. if i can get i'm
1: so glad we're doing this podcast together because that's like such a better way to put it like you have to prepare things and you know you get to see what the other moms are preparing when you're at a social event and it's all like cheerios and goldfish and all this stuff it's like yeah try to make those things at home it's not going to happen you need 40 freaking ingredients and some kind of crazy processing machine that presses them into the shape of the goldfish or whatever it's just it's toxic nonsense right? right So, and this is also why we have the approved foods list. You can get the foods list for free. We give it away for free. We'll put it in the show notes, like Mm -hmm. download the Mm -hmm. thermal metabolic approved foods list, which is like over a hundred foods to choose from. And they're all amazing and delicious. And you can make things from them. And like, by the way, this is a big update for Clovis is like the approved foods list includes sugar, (laughs) like sugar is on the list. So if you, if you want to like bake something, you can totally do that. Like that is fine. It's okay. Right. There's a ton of fruit on the list and all these things. And then you get into the nitty gritty details of like, okay, the number one thing I want people to avoid is seed oils. This is canola oil, soybean oil, rapeseed oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, peanut oil, it goes on and on. If a label says vegetable oil of any kind, you don't want that in your system. And we can get nerdy about it. These polyunsaturated fats are a type of fatty acid. They go to all the cells and tissues in your body. They get into the mitochondria in your cells. They can actually kill the cell if random oxidization occurs. And meanwhile, while they're before it kills the cell, that cell can't create energy in the same way.
0: I think women are so afraid of upping their caloric intake regardless of what their activity level is? How do we increase what we're eating? And how do we know when we hit a magic number that is like, okay, we're probably eating enough now. Is there a way that we can feel like we're getting enough food or feel like we're in the right spot for what our needs are?
1: Totally, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I would say like step one is going to be trying to find a way to honor your hunger signals. That's the easiest way that I can have people do this for the most part, if they, if you don't want to have a tracking app and you don't want to know your fat carbs, because you can go get a custom nutrition plan and I'll tell you exactly what to eat and you can type it into an app and all these things. But ultimately in terms of eating, which more, you should
0: probably have regardless, just to know like where your base might be desirable. Cause I think, you know, even though we're having this conversation around like 2000 calories, 3000 calories, that's a helpful tool to have regardless of how you want to start tracking for yourself or not tracking for yourself. I feel personally. So. Yeah.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Ultimately, I think it depends on how nitty-gritty you want to get on this thing. Because you can also go to, like, there's a, um, a website called calculator.net that you can just mm-hmm. go enter your age, height, your weight, your activity level. And it's going to get you a pretty decent idea of where your calories need to be. And it's always way higher than people anticipate. They're just like,
0: mm-hmm. I mean, I've never had anybody mm-hmm. go to that
1: website or get a custom plan from me and be like, this is not enough food. They're always like, this is way too much food. How am I going to do this? <laughs> and it ends up becoming targets that I want them to hit. But if the target yeah. game is overwhelming... Then step one would be downloading the foods list, which we'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can download the free foods list. And every single time you feel hungry, eat something on that list. Like I'm telling you, that's, there's so many people that are so used to skipping breakfast and fasting either on purpose or not on purpose because they're busy. So I always tell people like aim for three square meals a day and time them at the same time every day, if at all possible, to get used to your three square meals. And then any time in between, before or after those meals, and you are feeling hungry, you need to go eat more food. And the more that you do this, this is where people get nervous and they start to tweak it, is the more that they do this, they find themselves being hungrier and hungrier and hungrier, and they think that that is a bad thing. It's not. It's the body adjusting it's to the It's only good, ladies that...
0: and gentlemen. It's only good.
1: <laughs> exactly. The body has been starving for so long and now you start to give it the substrate that it needs it starts to repair things that are not in their best health it starts repairing tissues you start secreting more hormones you'll feel a little bit warmer you're still stop chipping your nails every time you touch something like all these different repair mechanisms are going to go into place and then the body's going to say this is great give me more and you're going to start getting hungrier and hungrier and you can actually kind of naturally reverse diet this the tricky part of this whole equation is that you have to be doing it with the right foods. If you try to play this game of like eating every time you're hungry and all you have in your house is kind of like processed junk foods, you're going to run into trouble there. So it's got to be the right foods.
0: And also uh, an additional thing is if you're someone that's like, well, I'm just not hungry until noon. I've been doing this for so long. I just don't get hungry. Breakfast is a huge problem with people when they start doing this have some superfood throw an egg in there uh, with your coffee like do something that's a small at least getting some energy into your body and eventually you will start to be hungry for breakfast and it's probably going to be scary if you're used to not honoring your hunger and satiety signals but it's all going to be a good thing and I love the way that you're talking about doing it in a way where you're just listening to yourself Mm -hmm. so in the beginning having yourself eat breakfast is probably the most forceful quote-unquote thing that you're going to do for yourself but again superfood, an egg, you know, like whatever you want to do. I'll nab a couple of slices of my kids' bacon sometimes that I'm making for their lunches. Do it that way. And then you can do it pretty naturally. And also while you're doing this, I feel like this, I would love your take on it too. Just stay away from the scale for about 60 days while you're doing this because what you're probably going to see is an escalation in pounds and then a de-escalation as your body's like, wait, we're safe. I don't need to hold in all the salt. I don't need to like retain water. Your body will figure it out quicker than you'll give it credit for. But if you're hopping on the scale every day or once a week or even biweekly, I think while you're going through this process, you're gonna get freaked out and you're gonna stop.
1: Oh, I agree 100. I 60 days is great. I would love 90 days, honestly. Like how, however long you can go. <laughs> as without long as you yourself, can go, 100. You
0: know? Under no circumstances yeah. 30. 90 days would be ideal. I think we both, we both feel that way for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you gave great advice here. That's like, this is why products like the superfood exist. Like the daily superfood powder has instructions on the label for making superfood coffee for this reason, right? Like my first, I don't do well with a big breakfast first thing in the morning. Me personally as like the guy that tells you to eat breakfast, I struggle with it. So the first thing I do, my first coffee of the day has about like nine ounces of black coffee. It has about two ounces of coconut milk. i um, fortunate because Megan is amazing and makes homemade coconut milk. So I have two ounces of coconut milk. I have one scoop of my superfood powder plus one scoop of the Clovis daily collagen plain. So I'm getting 20 grams of protein in my very first coffee. And then I do about five grams, which is like a little less than half a tablespoon. It's like one teaspoon really of MCT oil. So, I'm getting like MCT oil, I'm getting fats from the coconut milk, I'm getting 20 grams of collagen, and then I put a full tablespoon of raw honey in there, right? So, I'm getting 17 grams of sugar in that coffee. Oh, I
0: love honey in my coffee. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. So, there you go, right? I mean, like literally, if you I turned break down me on those to that, macros, and I was
0: like, mm, I like this.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's so good. And that's, I mean, that's like if you look at that coffee, that's probably 12 to 14 grams of fat, about 20 grams of protein, and about 17 to 20 grams of sugar in a coffee. Like, you don't need to cook yourself bacon and eggs when you first wake up to get some substrate in your system, you know?
0: Which is good. Yeah. Which yeah. is good. And I th- 100%, I think another misunderstanding that we have sometimes, especially with, like, that paleo-keto universe is, like, Having some carbs in the morning is totally fine. I think you integrated more carbs recently into your breakfast mm-hmm. for energy. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So my, my breakfast after that, I mean, I, I have two of those coffees, by the way. So I have one, one coffee and then probably like 20, 30 minutes later after I've been reading, I have another one of those coffees with the same things in it. And then Megan, my queen, is the most amazing. She, yeah. I'll be getting work done and she always makes me breakfast and it's so sweet. And it's uh, five eggs and a whole banana and eight ounces of organic orange juice. Yeah. The first couple of hours in my day, like, I probably have more food than most people are eating in a day. <laughs> you know? it's, it's a lot of food. You know? And you
0: have brilliant yeah. markers for health. You are at a body composition that you enjoy most of the time eating that amount of food as well.
1: Yeah, and I I will tell you guys this. I mean, like, the number one thing I can say is if you are, like, really feeling stressed out and living life like Jackie, you explained in your life, like, just feeling really kind of, like, worn out and like, you're burning the candle at both ends, I'm telling you, if you can find a way to stop stressing about the scale and do this for like 60 to 90 days where you just feed yourself enough food, the changes you will see in mental clarity and energy levels and your mood and the way you are with your family. I always try to tell people that I'm like, listen, if you're running around stressed out, you're not having the best, most present moment with your loved ones, right? Like you're feeling stressed out. You're not going to be at your best. I'm like trying to help people understand that this creation of energy in the body Leads to stronger emotions, better libido if you have a partner, less snappiness. You won't feel the hangry if you mood don't have swing a I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, even if you don't have a partner, you'll still have a high libido, which is super fun.
0: <laughs> we can
1: teach you about that.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I felt like I needed to interject that morsel, but there it is now. Um, anyway. <laughs> To add to that, uh, I did a 2,000 calorie experiment, which was an experiment at the time, uh, a couple of years ago, and I literally never felt better. And I was eating sausage and egg waffles and bacon, and I had like bananas for the first time in years during that time too, which was a mental hurdle. I literally <laughs> never felt better. And I'm so hyper aware that I'm not the mom that I want to be if I'm freaking stressed out. Yeah, F- Fueling your body, it sounds so stupid, which is why I'm laughing, but like fueling your body fuels everything else that is going on with you, literally everything else that is going on with you. There's a reason we call it hangry. There's a reason why periods can be so immobilizing. There's a reason why people have such high rates of anxiety and depression that are underfeeding themselves. I know it sounds like this, like here's the one thing that'll fix all your shit, but it really truly is the one thing that will get you five steps further in all of the shit that you've been trying to accomplish. If you can just do the real work of getting around the fact that you're going to be doing something completely different that society has told you isn't meant for people like you is only meant for like healthy people that have their shit together and do ice baths. They get to get three meals a day. You don't. If you can just understand that these people profit from lying to you about this stuff, even if they have the best of intentions, there's no way to separate the two. So, if you can allow yourself to have all of the things that other healthy, happy, successful, financially stable, independent, non codependent people get, I know I'm like ranting about this now, but I think it's just such a pivotal foundation to actually getting the places that you want to go and having the things that you want to have in every area.
1: Absolutely. Health and wellness is not a goal, it is an obstacle. Being healthy is awesome, and it makes everything else easier. So we have to remove it as an obstacle. It should not be an obstacle. Health and wellness is like, it's not pain and suffering.
0: Mm -hmm. Understand what it is first. It is not how you look in a bikini, and then you can tackle it for what it is instead of chasing the wrong problem.
1: 100%. Yeah, and the faster you can start living as a healthy person, the more your life will manifest the way of a healthy person. It's really how it works. It's like a change from the inside out. And step one of that is like loving yourself exactly where you are.
0: I can't think of a better place to end this podcast. What do you think, pal?
1: I think that was great. Yeah, awesome.
0: So this has been amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation. I'm so excited to have so many more conversations with you about everything. Part of the reason I think you're one of my best friends is because we share a very big heart for wanting to help people and wanting to be of impact. And I love that I not only get a beautiful excuse to have these conversations with you all the time that you can't, you can't say no to, uh, but also we get to talk to people about things that matter to us that we really think will help them. And I can't wait for a lot more of these conversations. I can't wait for people to let us know what they want us to talk about. And um, I just appreciate that you said yes to my presentation of doing this together
1: yeah I appreciate the idea and this was awesome I think it really is going to be nice for us to and like we talked about too we're in two different worlds in a lot of ways Yeah, Like I don't have kids all that stuff so it's really great for us to give people multiple different perspectives and they can learn about what's exciting to us now and then you're going to ask the right kind of questions so I think it's a it's a great way for us to just get some really really valuable content out there and I'm looking forward to future conversations
0: thank you so much for your time and uh, we'll be back with another podcast for everybody soon